Good morning. Let's find our place and stand together as we worship the Lord through song, singing out a great old hymn, My Savior's Love. Let's sing this out together. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder Welcome to First Baptist Church of Wixom. Thanks for joining us for worship today. Here are a few upcoming events to help you stay connected. Community groups continue tonight with a special church-wide meeting at 6 p.m. here in the auditorium. This is for anyone who would like to join, and there will be something special for the kids as well. Don't miss this encouraging hour of deeper Bible study, discussion, fellowship, and ice cream. The new session of the Modular Sunday School class begins next week. In addition to college and career, E3, and the auditorium class, the ladies' class will be continuing, and Johnny Martin will be starting a seven-week class on digging deeper into discipleship. Fall Fest will be on Saturday, October 28th from 1 to 3 p.m. This event is a community event that is open to anyone with children, and we need your help to make this event a success. First, we need some volunteers to help us manage all the events that day. Please plan to stay for a brief meeting in the cafe after the morning worship gathering today to see how you can help in this area. Second, we need you to invite and encourage others to attend so we can share the gospel with as many people as possible. Thirdly, we need some candy. If you want to donate candy, please do so in the collection box under the sign-up table in the link. Lastly, please pray that God would use this event to further the gospel in our community. Thank you for all your help in making this event successful. The quarterly member meeting is scheduled for next Sunday, October 29th, after the morning worship gathering. You can see more details in the member meeting notebook in the link. We hope you will plan to stay for this encouraging celebration of God's provision. In just a few minutes, we will be dismissing children four years through the third grade at the back of the auditorium to our junior church ministry. 
While there, they will enjoy a great time as they sing songs, play games, and hear a message from God's Word prepared just for them. Giving is one of the many ways we have to worship the Lord. If you would like to give financially, you can utilize the giving box in the back of the auditorium, or you can give online at fbcwixom.org and click on the tab at the top of the page. If this is your first time at FBC, we would love to connect with you. If you'd like more info about FBC, prayer, or to learn how you can get involved, you can fill out an online connections card at fbcwixom.org forward slash connect. Also, make sure to stop by the Welcome Center for a special gift on your way out after the service. Once again, thank you for joining us for worship today. Now we invite you to worship the Lord through song as we prepare to hear from God's Word this morning. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you this morning. You heard on the video today that next Sunday during the Sunday School Hour, A new segment, a new session of our modular class begins, and the new class is with Johnny Martin, and it is called Deeper Discipleship, and I just want to talk about that for a moment. Um, As you've probably heard, we want to encourage everybody in the church to have a discipleship relationship, at least one, with somebody else, ideally in the church, where they meet weekly or every other week to do Bible study, spend time in prayer, memorize scripture together. This class is really designed to take that deeper. And so if you're in a discipleship relationship, you want to get more out of it, Johnny's going to bring some biblical ideas to really help you. And so we encourage you to consider being part of the deeper discipleship class, which starts next Sunday morning at 945. I'm excited to tell you that there's some progress that's been made over the last couple of weeks in preparing for the building project, the bus facility. We've been talking about this for some time, but just this last week, the loan was finalized, the money was put in the bank. So that means a couple of things that you need to be aware of. Number one, we've got our first mortgage payment upcoming, and uh, the money is there through our budget and through the uh, development fund but uh, now is the time to really start praying about uh, how you want to contribute to that financially and consider um, a special gift towards the building we can pay off without penalty we can pay early and so we'd like to have you pray over whether the lord would have you get involved in doing that or not also, um, we need to get rid of the stuff that's in the existing garage. That building's going to get knocked down in the next few weeks. And uh, we have a, a contingency plan to get temporary storage and have the staff guys move all that stuff in there into temporary storage. But we wanted to talk this morning about the possibility of having you help us with that. If you've got some space, you've got some quality garage or barn space where there you can safely store for about six months, some of the equipment. There's actually three categories of things. There's lawn equipment. There's kind of miscellaneous uh, wood, backdrops, construction stuff. And then there's furniture, um, desks and chairs primarily. If you could help us store that, that would be wonderful. If you could help us transport it to your storage, that would be even more wonderful. And so Johnny is sort of heading that up. And uh, he's the guy to talk to today or during this week. What we'd like to do is distribute everything out of the garage next Sunday after the morning worship, um, Monday and Tuesday during the window of those three days. If you could help us with that and let us know how much you could take, what kind of things you could take, whether or not you have your own transportation or not, we would greatly appreciate your help with that. Please let Johnny know today or email him during the week this week. 
This morning, it's a blessing for us to have uh, one of our missionaries, Matt and Marla Hanna, with us. Whenever our missionaries are in town, we want to bless them with a generous love offering. And so this gives me a good opportunity to remind you of something on our website. There's a tab called Give. It takes you to a website called Tithely. Tithely is a third party that helps us safely collect uh, donations from people. There's something about Tithely, if you ever use it, that you should know today, though. If you mark other It's a special missionary gift that you want to do or something else. There's not a fund listed. There's a place for you to record that in the memo, but it's all the way at the bottom. So we've had several gifts given recently that say other with no clarification, and that creates a problem for our treasurer team. And so we need your help with this. If you do that today or in the future, if you go on Tithely, you mark other, Before completing the transaction, you have to go all the way to the bottom where the memo line is at. We've asked them to fix this for us, and they won't. It's on their website, and so we just have to kind of deal with it. So scroll all the way to the bottom, fill out that memo before completing the transaction. If you want to do that today, just put Hannah in the blank at the bottom, and we'll make sure that gets contributed to the love offering today. I've asked Matt to come and share a little bit of an update on their ministry. Thank you for being with us today, Matt. Good morning, everyone. We are pleased to represent you in Taiwan. We've been in Taiwan for about 33 years, uh, now home on a furlough. And we're going to begin with a, a brief video. It's about eight or nine minutes, and I'll come up and sum up after that's completed. Marks our 36th year of missionary service. Taiwan is a teardrop-shaped island that is approximately 240 miles long and 90 miles wide. It is only 90 miles east of mainland China. Mandarin Chinese is Taiwan's official language, but Taiwanese, another Chinese dialect, is also frequently spoken. The commonly held religious beliefs of the Taiwanese people are Buddhism, ancestor worship, and traditional folk religion. But contemporary society is rapidly being transformed to reflect a largely secular worldview. Taiwan's modern, clean, and populous cities are filled with people whose primary values are education, business, and material prosperity. In 2002, we planted Cornerstone Baptist Church in the southern city of Kaohsiung in a storefront on our home's first floor. Now, in its 21st year, Cornerstone is a faithful, growing congregation located in the Zuoyin district of the city. Over the years, Matt's ministry has focused on expository preaching biblical teaching, personal discipleship, training men, and counseling church members. He also has frequently taught semester courses at Chinese Baptist Bible College, which is a small school operating in partnership with other Kaohsiung Baptist churches. Marla has used her gifts to serve in the areas of coordinating church music, playing the piano for worship, and teaching piano hymn playing, as well as discipling and counseling women. Since 2015, another significant aspect of our ministry has been hosting and assisting younger missionaries as they enter Taiwan 
and assimilate to local language, culture, society, and ministry. Josh and Rachel Stewart, with their children, Nate and Anna, arrived at Cornerstone in 2015 as BMM co-workers. Additionally, the Brian Boland family and the Brian Buckley family, who are serving with other mission agencies, also came soon after and made Cornerstone their church home as they learned the ropes of Taiwan ministry. An unexpected addition to our ministry came in 2016. I was invited by Baptist Mid-Missions to become the field administrator for Asia and the Pacific region. This post involved administrative oversight of the missionaries serving in our corner of the world. Our primary focus was on shepherding the missionaries, visiting them, and encouraging them. We fulfilled this ministry while remaining in Kaohsiung and continuing to lead at Cornerstone Baptist Church. During this four-year period, we visited missionaries in 15 different nations. These included mainland China, New Zealand, Australia, Indonesia, Northeast India, Thailand, Myanmar, Japan, Bangladesh, Guam, Chuuk, Okinawa, Hong Kong, Cambodia, and Eastern Russia. We also made multiple trips to the BMM Global Ministry Center in Cleveland to fulfill various responsibilities and activities. The stress of travel and ministry took its toll on our church, on our health, and on our marriage. Cornerstone held its own through this period of time, due largely to Josh Stewart's supporting ministry, which provided consistency and stability to the congregation during our frequent absences. Finally, the pressure of trying to fulfill two different ministries at the same time became too great for us. In April 2020, we resigned our administrative position so that we could place our full focus back on Taiwan and Cornerstone Baptist Church. Since then, we have been working together with the Stewart family toward the goal of leading the church to full indigenization. From the outset of our ministry at Cornerstone, we have actively trained church leadership and sought for a man to pastor the congregation. Presently, the church has qualified and competent deacons. All of the regular church ministries are organized and carried out by members of the congregation, and the church is financially independent. In the last two years, we have rejoiced at the return of several young adults to involvement in our congregation after many years away. These individuals grew up in our Sunday school and youth group, but left Kaohsiung during their college years. They are now beginning to assume an active role in congregational life and ministry as they embark on marriage and career. However, after 21 years at Cornerstone, we have not been successful in training, mentoring, and installing a national pastor. Taiwanese men struggle with willingness to consider God's call, which would require them to surrender cherished career ambitions, social status, and material comforts. For this reason, 
Taiwanese churches languish without sufficient national leadership. In 2022, after a period of prayer, evaluation, and discussion, we came to the settled conclusion that we had completed what the Lord wished for us to accomplish at Cornerstone Baptist Church. In June 2023, we packed up our household and returned to the U.S. for furlough. We are now past 60 years of age and have no plans to retire from the Lord's work. Therefore, we will be pursuing a different ministry assignment within Baptist Midmissions for the next stage of our lives. During these months of furlough travel, we will be exploring ministry options and seeking the Lord's direction for what that assignment might be. Josh Stewart has made a commitment to remain at Cornerstone Baptist Church, at least for a time, to help the church keep moving toward complete independence. In Ezekiel 22.30, God said, So I sought for a man among them, but I found no one. Today, more than ever, people need someone who will speak to them God's word of salvation in Christ and turn them back from eternal judgment. God is still calling men and women to be his missionary ambassadors to the nations and shepherds for his people. However, as in Old Testament Israel and as in contemporary Taiwan, men and women who will respond to this call are still hard to find. God is calling whom shall I send and who will go for us? How will you respond? So we thank you for uh, supporting our ministry for so many years. You've been faithful in encouraging us and helping us. Uh, the next stage of our ministry is still uncertain. Uh, we are actively pursuing uh, ministry opportunities. In fact, uh, we leave today. We're headed east. We'll be doing uh, some survey work, uh, meeting and conference with um, some uh, international church planning ministries uh, in some of the cities in the northeast, um, looking to see uh, if there's a place for us in one of those ministries. Uh, we will certainly be keeping you informed. Uh, as our supporters, you uh, we'll want to know exactly what we're planning and what, where we're headed, so we'll be keeping you informed. Uh, but we do appreciate your prayers for us. We desire that you would uh, be interceding on our behalf as we seek uh, God's guidance and leadership for this next stage of our life. My wife is here with me today. She's about halfway back on my left. After the service, we'll be back. Uh, we've set up a table in the foyer, and uh, we hope that you'll stop by and say hello to us. Uh, pick up a prayer card, and um, if we have any questions at that time, uh, feel free to ask those. Let me just uh, answer one question because I know this is one that everybody has. Uh, Taiwan is very much in the news these days uh, with the pressures and threats from mainland China. Um, for people in Taiwan, those things are pretty much, uh, they're pretty used to it. Uh, they don't get all worked up about it, not as much as we get worked up about it here. Um, in fact, uh, most of the missionaries in Taiwan, we get worked up about it too, but uh, the local people don't really seem to take it that seriously. Um, nobody knows what's going to happen. Uh, China could invade. It could go on in this way for many years. But um, we kind of 
hoped that this type of pressure placed on the Chinese people would make them more receptive, more open to the gospel. Um, But the Chinese people are very steeped in materialism and very focused on personal wealth and comforts. And uh, we've not seen uh, much of that effect to this point in time. Uh, Do be in prayer for Cornerstone Baptist Church. Josh Stewart is leading that church as they move forward. Um, uh, it's, uh, It's been obvious that God has blessed that work. It was a huge disappointment to us as we have worked really hard and diligently to see a national pastor installed, that that never took place. Um, But uh, we do feel that we've accomplished there what God has for us, and so now we're looking to the next stage of our lives. So thank you for your prayers, and we appreciate all that you do for us. Tonight, we're having a special gathering here at the church, uh, not replacing community group, but as our community group. So if you normally participate or if you don't, please plan on joining us at six o'clock tonight. Just a quick word of what we're doing tonight. Really, tonight is an opportunity to talk about why we do community group. Many of you participate, but for those of you who don't, it's really about coming together as a community around not only Jesus Christ, but about scripture, specifically what is preached in the morning message. So tonight's an opportunity for us to talk about that and to continue to discuss what we're learning in scripture. In fact, today's study guide is actually split. You'll see if you have one or if you pick one up on your way out, the top half is about what we're going to do tonight. The bottom half is what pastor is speaking on this morning. And so we want to encourage you, as Angela said in the announcement videos, there's ice cream. So if that incentivizes you to come, please come. We want everybody here. But it's really an opportunity to focus. One last thing, if you want to connect deeper with our church, if you want to connect better, community groups is the way to do that. It's a way to form relationships within the body of Christ. It's the way to develop friendships that are going to point you towards Jesus Christ. And a lot of times, if you're just here in the morning, it's busy, there's a lot of people, community groups is really where you can deepen those relationships, again, with a spiritual focus. Now, I'm going to pray, and we'll go ahead and continue with our service. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to gather today. Help us, as Pastor brings a message for us from the Psalms, to deepen our trust in you. Lord, you are our salvation. Help us to put our faith in that. Help us to put our trust in that. Lord, we ask that today the Holy Spirit be on this place, that it helps us understand your word. Please fill Pastor with wisdom as he speaks and as he teaches us what you have for us from your word. Lord, help us to worship you to the best of our ability. We ask all this in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Let's continue to worship through song. Stand together as we sing out, I will trust my Savior, Jesus. I will trust my Savior, Jesus, when my darkest doubts we fall. Trust Him when to simply trust Him. The hardest thing of all. Jesus, only Jesus, help me trust you more and more. Jesus, only Jesus, may my heart be ever yours. I will trust. 
particular song was written by Fanny Crosby in 1875, um, just shortly after she had seen God meet a need in her life. And um, I'm just reminded, the song being one of my favorite hymns, set to a a slightly different uh, melody, that all the way our Savior leads us, oh, the fullness of his love. How could I doubt his tender mercy for Jesus leads me all the way? All the way my Savior leads me Who have I to ask beside? How could I doubt His tender mercies? Who through life have been my guide? All the way my Savior leads me Here's each winding path I tread And gives me grace for every trial Feeds me with the living breath He leads me and keeps me from falling He Jesus led me all the way. 
Psalm number 95, if you would please turn to Psalm number 95. We've been looking at this book of ancient Jewish hymns, the Psalms, and asking two questions, two theological questions. Number one, what is God like? Who is he? And then secondly, how should I respond? What should I do with that characteristic of God? I appreciated the message that we heard last week that Holden brought us from Psalm 62. It said this, that God is the rock. Do you remember that? God is the rock, the mountain. And from that rock or on that rock, I should wait, take refuge and trust. And it's actually a great partner passage with our psalm today, Psalm number 95, especially this idea of trust. Because today we're going to talk about God as Savior, and these two ideas go together in Scripture hand in glove. You see them all throughout the Psalms and really throughout Scripture. The idea that God is the rock that we can trust in, and he is the salvation that we look for, the rescuer. Psalm 1846, for instance, the Lord liveth, and blessed be my rock, and let the God of my salvation be exalted, my rock and my salvation. This occurs often in the Psalms. I don't know if you caught it, but last week this occurred really profoundly in Psalm number 62. Listen to some of last week's Psalm. Truly my soul waits upon God. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. Verse number five, my soul wait thou upon God for my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved in God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. And so really these two ideas of God being the rock that you can trust in and the salvation that your soul needs. These two ideas go hand in glove in scripture. God is the Savior. He is in the business of rescuing people, bringing salvation. Of this characteristic of God is all throughout the Psalms. Psalm 3, 8, for an example. Salvation belongs unto the Lord. If there is anyone who has the ability to rescue, it is God. Psalm 55, verse 16, as for me, I will call upon God and the Lord shall save me. So today we want to focus on this psalm. It's a pretty familiar psalm, Psalm number 95, and it has incredibly deep meaning for us because we as New Testament believers more fully understand what it means to have God as Savior. Are you with me? The psalmist, when when the psalmists were writing their psalms, they may have been considering the long-term ramifications of the promise of God to send a Messiah that would save mankind from its sin. They might have been considering that at times. But most of the time when you're reading the psalm, it looks like 
salvation and rescue is really about the immediate need. Like, Lord, I got bad guys chasing after me. I need saved. I need somebody to rescue me. Of course, this concept of God as the rescuer, as the savior for us has more meaning because we see the gospel plan very clearly looking back on the message and the life, the ministry of Jesus Christ. This psalm, though, is quoted in the New Testament in the context of salvation, salvation from our sin, salvation to eternal life. This psalm is quoted in this context. And so we can greatly or with great confidence, we can apply this idea, this psalm to New Testament believers. What we want to do today is to worship God as Savior. And normally we would read the passage, but I'm going to read it to you in the message today. Would you take just a moment and pray with me this morning and think about what God saves us from? It's more so than just sin and death and hell. God is in the business of rescuing us. Would you pray with me and thank him for that as we start today? Father, we do thank you for saving us from sin and from hell and from death that we might spend eternity with you. We glorify you for that, and we thank you for the love and the grace that makes salvation from sin possible. But this morning, Lord, we also want to thank you from saving us from hopelessness and from fear, saving us from ourselves, from shallow living, from vanity, from an empty life. Lord, you have saved us too so much that we have in Jesus. And for a few minutes this morning, Lord, would you quiet our hearts? Would you help me as I speak to think clearly about your truth? Would you teach us from your word and change us that we might worship you better? As your word says, that we might worship you in spirit and in truth. We want to lift up your son Jesus today. Help us to do that well. We pray in his name. Amen. Psalm number 95, first of all, teaches us that he has saved us to worship. Let me actually rephrase that. It doesn't necessarily teach us that, but it reinforces this idea, which is a New Testament concept, that God has saved us to worship. I want you to think about worship as I read the first seven verses. Listen to what the psalmist says. Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise. To the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms, for the Lord is a great God. Can you say amen to that? Amen. The Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. The sea is his and he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come. Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. You see, sometimes we, we assign too little benefit to salvation. We, we think of salvation sometimes just in terms of, hey, I got a problem because of, as a sinner, I'm headed to hell. I don't want to go to hell. So I want to be saved. And sometimes we limit salvation to that thinking that I just... Think God saved me for me, to keep me away from that disastrous ending for a soul that does not know him. But scripture actually teaches that God saved us for him, for his benefit, so that we might worship him. We were 
saved in this sense. We were salvaged from the scrap heap of sin, salvaged and made useful for worship. We were saved in that sense. Ephesians puts it this way, that we should be to the praise of his glory. This is the purpose of salvation, that we would somehow, wicked sinners that fall so far short of the glory of God, it's not even close, that he would save us, salvage us from that condition to be to the praise of his glory. That is only possible through Jesus Christ. I want you to see what the psalmist says here about worship. Think about the context of worship here in this room with this group of people. He says in verse number one, let us sing. And for those of us that can't sing, he says, let us make a joyful noise. Let's make some racket for God. the, The idea of joyful noise is kind of like if you've ever been outside a stadium where something amazing happens, a home run gets hit, a touchdown gets scored, and you hear the roar of the people inside, that's what should be going on in the church, a joyful noise. Let us give thanks. Let's reflect on God's faithfulness in the past. Let us sing psalms. Let's, let's talk about the truths of God, who he is, and why he is worship, uh, worthy of our worship. Let us highlight, verse 3, his greatness and his power and his creation, verses 4 and 5. Let us bow down. Let us kneel. Let us worship. I hope you find that here. You're encouraged to do that. If you come in this room and you think more about any person or any organization, we've missed the goal of today. If you come in here and you think more about Jesus, then we've hit the goal. We've hit the target. Like, I want to think about him, bigger thoughts, and worship him more deeply and more fully. Spurgeon said it this way, that worship should be joyful, but not presumptuous. Don't be irreverent, but be happy. It should be familiar, yet reverential, in awe. It should be in our daily walk. And yet it should be flat on our face before God. This is the only right response for those that have experienced the rescuing hand of God. For any human who has realized, I was on the scrap heap of sin. My life was a complete disaster without the rescuing hand of God. And yet, through Jesus Christ, he saved me that I might be to the praise of his glory. My only right response is worship. And so I would just ask you on a practical level, how do you respond to that truth? Like when you hear me say, you are on the scrap heap, you've been saved to the praise of his glory. Do you think, eh, that's nice, but it's kind of an old message. Like, I'm not sure I'm super excited about it. Or do you rejoice? What the psalmist is telling us is to sing and make a joyful noise and kneel down and bow down and praise God with all of your strength for this incredible truth. It actually brings about a practical question. And that is, how do we respond here. How do we respond here? Someone asked me recently, Brad, what is the right response? Should we, should we clap? Should we say amen? Should we run the aisles? They're like, what should we do? Like, if we're excited about Jesus, what should we do? Well, I would just um, tell you that those things all mean something different. So one of the things you should do is think when you worship. Think What am I saying? What am I doing? Who am I exalting? The word amen actually means so be it or I agree. And applause in our culture means well done. That was a good job. 
I'm not sure what run on the aisles means, but we'll get to that in just a second. The real question is, what are you worshiping? See, we all worship, right? So what are you, right now, what are you worshiping? What are you thinking about? What are you elevating? Is it the menu for lunch on your mind that you're ruminating on, marinating in? Is it the the football game that's happening this afternoon? Is that what's on your mind? Or the one that happened yesterday? Is that what's on your mind? Like, what are you elevating? Or is it Jesus? Like, Brad, just tell me about Jesus. He saved me to worship. Tell me how to worship him better. That's what I want to think about today. So the real question is, what are you worshiping? The danger for us in here is when our response recognizes the performance rather than the truth. That's where the danger is. Does it recognize the performance rather than the truth? I think we would all agree that in our culture, you, you should feel discouraged today. When I finish speaking, when I walk down, you should feel discouraged from applauding. I hope that you're not, hey, Brad, whew, well done, right? Because we're not here for that, we're here for truth. You're not here for a performance. You're not here for a story hour. You're not here for a captivating discussion. You're, you should be here for truth, right? So we know that. But when we hear somebody sing or we hear the guys play an instrument or the piano and we think, I don't know, that was a great performance. Like, I don't know what I should do in response. So the question or the answer to that lies in this, what are you worshiping? When the message, when the lyrics are being projected up on the screen as the instruments are playing, you certainly should feel worship. If you hear a great performance and you have no idea what the words of that song even are, that to you is a performance, right? Because you don't know what the message of that song is. So it might be different for us. The question is really not what to do within reason, but why am I? I doing it? Why am I doing it? What is the right response? If I agree with truth, I should probably say amen. That's what it means. I agree. If I think higher of Jesus, then maybe I should amen. Maybe I should clap. Maybe I should shout. Maybe I should sing, whatever, without distracting the other worshipers around me. But something that is appropriate. And by the way, If applause is appropriate, it might be appropriate right in the middle of the song. For instance, let's pretend the three guys are up here playing away on the guitars and the lyric slide changes and the slide up there says something awesome about Jesus. I think it'd be good for me to say that's my savior right there. That's my king. He deserves attention and applause. That's an awesome truth. Maybe for me, it might just be an amen. Whatever we do, here's what I want to challenge you with. We should approach The beauty of God, listen to this, with a spring in our step, joyfully and thankfully, free of concern about what others might think. Free of concern. This is really the crux of worship. If I really, it's just me and God in the moment, and I, like Isaiah, see God high and lifted up, and I respond in the way that I think is right, I'm really not worried about y'all trying not to distract you. But it's just me and him, and I just stepped into his presence, and I see him for who he actually is, and my heart is overwhelmed, and I raise my hands, or I clap, or I amen, or I cry, or I sing, or I write, or whatever I do in response to that truth. I do it joyfully and thankfully. 
you very seldom do you see in scripture, particularly in the Psalms, do you, you, you very seldom see this. Let us come before the presence of the Lord with a heavy, long face, heavy heart, long face. Let us groan. Let us weep. There, there is that in scripture. And there is a right time for us to do that. But most of the time when it comes to worship, we're just supposed to say, man, I got a great God. I got a great savior. Johnny and I were walking through an airport. I saw a guy wearing a shirt that said, Jesus is my king. And immediately we both started feeling worshipful. You know, we said, hey, Jesus is our king. Hey, look at that. Christian brothers all together. Isn't Jesus awesome? We had like 15 seconds of worship together. Right. And I think that's right. We should respond spontaneously to the greatness of God because he has saved us for worship. Philippians chapter 2, one of my favorite passages in scripture, wherefore God has highly exalted Jesus and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess in heaven and in earth and things under the earth that Jesus is Lord, to the glory of God the Father, this is the end goal, that every knee would bow and acknowledge how awesome my Savior is. Kind of wrong for me to not acknowledge it, right? I mean, if that's the end goal, I should be practicing. Revelation 5 tells us about someday they will sing a new song. Every kindred, every tongue, every people, every nation will sing a new song. And it's this, Jesus alone is worthy. That's it. That is the end goal. That is what we're saved to, and we should be practicing it right now. So I want to challenge you. Worship God with passion here, right now, and prepare for our future. But the second truth of this psalm is that he has saved us for rest. Rest. Not laziness. Not apathy. Rest. Verse number seven. Today, if you will hear his voice... Harden not your heart as in the day of provocation and as in the day of temptation in the wilderness when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work. Forty years long was I grieved with this generation and said, It is a people that do err in their heart and they have not known my ways, unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. God was grieved with this people. One of our staff guys this week in reading through the outline for this morning's message said said to me, may our church never have that legacy, right? That God is grieved with a generation. I want God to look at this generation of believers at First Baptist Church and say, they got it. They they, they were imperfect, but they got it. They believed me. They trusted me. They went in. They followed my plan for the church. For the Israelites, this rest was the promised land. No Egyptians to worry about, no daily potential starvation, no wandering through desert country, no fighting other nations, just rest. But they hardened their hearts. And by the way, they did this every time things got hard, they hardened their hearts. I don't know if you remember back in May, we talked about the fact that God is our hope. And we talked about Massa and Meribah. These are the two locations where they wanted water and God was going to provide it. But instead, they just complained and whined and wanted to go back to Egypt. They complained often. And when the moment of salvation came, they were standing, waiting. I want to go in, but I don't think I should. I'm afraid they wouldn't trust God. 
And they failed to enter into his rest. This is recounted for us in Deuteronomy chapter 1. This is a lot of scripture, so hang with me. Let me just see if I can recall for you what, got, what happened to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 1. Moses is recounting this, and he says, The Lord our God spake unto us in Horeb, saying, You've dwelt long enough in this mountain. Turn you, take your journey to the land of the Canaanites. Behold, I have set the land before you. Go in, possess the land which the Lord swore unto your fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob to give unto them and to their seed after them. Verse number 22. And you came near unto me, every one of you, and said, we will send men before us and they shall search out the land. Now, Moses actually bought into this thinking. But notice what happened. So God said, hey, it's time for you to go in, go in. And the people said, well, we want to make sure it's safe. We want to make sure it's good. And so they sent the spies in. And you remember what happened. The spies came back and they said, the land is awesome. It is great. It's going to be a wonderful place to live. But we probably shouldn't just wander in like the Lord said. There are giants there. Verse number 26, notwithstanding, you would not go up, but rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God. And you murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hated us, he's brought us forth out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. And the Lord heard the voice of your words and was wroth and swear, saying, surely there shall not one of these men of this evil generation see that good land, which I swear to give unto your fathers, except for Caleb and Joshua. They're the only ones that are going to go in. God promised the rest in Canaan, but at the moment of faith, at the moment of fully trusting God's plan, they failed. They would not trust him, and so they did not get their rest. Now you might say, okay, what does that have to do with us? Well, rest for us is the salvation of our souls. You see, God has not promised us a parcel of land like he did to the Israelites. He's promised us forgiveness and an eternal home for our faith. And you might say, hopefully, hopefully you're saying this. If you're not familiar with the New Testament passage I'm about to get us to, hopefully you're saying this. Hold on a second, Brad. I don't necessarily buy that argument. You just said, for Israel, rest was the promised land. I get that. Deuteronomy chapter 1, that's really clear. But then you said, for for us, for New Testament believers, rest is salvation? Should I buy that? Because you said a couple of weeks ago, you can't just take an Old Testament truth for Israel and apply it to the church. And if you heard that and you thought that, you're exactly right. You're right with me. So why can we say that rest for us is the salvation of our souls? Glad you asked. Hebrews chapter 3 is why we can say it. Here's what he says in Hebrews chapter 3. Wherefore, holy brethren... Partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Jesus Christ, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in his house. For this man, Jesus, was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath built the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. Moses verily was faithful in his house, Israel, as a servant, for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ is a son over his own house, whose house we are. The church is the household of Christ. If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope, firm unto the end. All right, we're going to get to it in just a second. But what the author of Hebrews is saying is that Jesus is like Moses. Moses led his people and he told them, follow me by faith. Jesus leads the church and he says, follow me 
by faith. Verse number seven, wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, listen to these words, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years. If you think I've read those words before already today, you're right. They're right out of Psalm 95. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, they do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. So in Hebrews chapter 3, the author of Hebrews is talking about salvation of souls. And he looks back to Psalm 95, and he looks back to Deuteronomy chapter 1, and he says, they failed to believe. Don't you fail to believe? Here's verse number 12. Take heed, brethren, believers, church, Lest there be anyone here with an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but rather exhort one another daily. Hold on to that phrase. While it is called today, lest any of you believers, church member, be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart as in the provocation. Hey, brethren, take heed. Hey, church, don't let sin deceive you. Here's what happens is we take a little bit of sin. We like, I just, I'm just going to play with sin just a little bit. And what ends up happening is that sin deceives us and it hardens our heart. And we start to lose our trust, lose our faith in Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. This is the next verse chronologically in Scripture here. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into rest. We have the same promise, but any of you, he says, come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, the good news of Jesus. But the word preached did not profit them, the Israelites, because it was not mixed with faith. For we which have believed do enter into rest. Verse 11, let us therefore um, labor, therefore, to enter into rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. What is the author of Hebrews saying? It's all about trust. It's like we heard preached last Sunday. It's leaning into God and saying, you know what, I'm going to take my hands off the wheel. I see that giant puddle in front of me. I don't know how deep it is. Jesus, you drive. You've been there before. I can trust you completely so what are we to do as a church well it's in chapter 3 and verse 13 he said so exhort one another daily how do you avoid the hardness of the heart how do you avoid the deceitfulness of sin you exhort one another daily and this is by the way what we plead with you to do as a church and and to be honest with you the leadership team sometimes gets kind of Yawns and rolled eyes when we say, hey, you should be in discipleship. You should be meeting with somebody. People should be talking truth into your life and you should be talking truth into their life. Why? So that you will avoid the deceitfulness of sin. So that you will avoid the hardness of heart. You say, well, I don't think that would happen to me. Well, remember who Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 are written to. It's written to believers. Let's go on. Verse number 16. For some, when they had heard did provoke they wouldn't trust god Howbeit, not all that came out of egypt by moses but with whom was he grieved 40 years was it not with them that had sinned whose carcasses fell in the wilderness and to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest but to them that did what 
they believed not. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. What is it about? It's about belief. And I've explained this to you before. The New Testament is full of this truth. How does a person have a right relationship with God? They believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 3 and verse number 16. For God did what? Because he loved us, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. When the Philippian jailer asked Paul, what do I do to be saved? What did he say? Believe on the Lord Jesus and thou shalt be saved and thy house. It's about believing. And believing is about repenting from sin. I'm not going to do it my way. And following Jesus. I'm going to do it his way. Repenting from sin and putting my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now you might say, okay, Brad, so I hear you. You're talking about worship. We're saved to worship. I'm here this morning. I'm worshiping. And we're saved to rest. I put my faith in Jesus. I can rest. I don't have to earn a right relationship with God. That's already been earned for me. Is there any application for me today? Great question. Yes, there is. This is not just for people struggling to worship. And this is not just for people who have not put their faith in Jesus. This is also for followers of Jesus who have a hard time trusting him. Followers of Jesus who have a hard time trusting him. And you say, okay, Brad, how do I know if I have a hard time trusting him? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us exactly how. Here's the litmus test. Do you complain? That's it. (laughs) Do you complain? You ever find yourself complaining? Maybe you don't complain publicly. Maybe you're savvier than that. You just spend time complaining in prayer. Lord, I think you're missing something here. Aren't you aware of what I need? Let me tell you how this should be solved, right? We complain in prayer. And 1 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us this was the root problem for them. The root problem for the children of Israel. Verse number five, but with many of them, the Israelites, was God not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent that we, the church, should not lust after evil things as they also lusted neither be idolaters as were some of them as it is written the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand neither let us tempt christ as some of them tempted and were destroyed of serpents neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer now all of these things happen for our example And they're written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. And you might say, amen, those people, they were complaining and they were murmuring and they probably deserved what God sent him. But I'm not a perpetual complainer. I'm not an idolater. Next verse, verse number 12. Wherefore, let him that thinks he stand, take heed lest he fall. The the, the Holy Spirit is so good at knowing how we think, right? We read passages of Scripture and we go, well, that's for somebody bad. I'm pretty good. And then he says, actually, this is for you. If you're thinking pretty good about yourself, take heed. This is for you. There's a sign, actually a couple of signs up in the WCS high school that say this is a complaint-free zone. By the way, that should be, we should have that sign maybe in here, maybe elsewhere throughout the building, maybe in our prayer closet. This is a complaint-free zone. Why? Because I trust God to get it right. I just trust Him to get it right. You ever have a hard time believing and trusting that God knows better than we do? That's hard. The legacy of the children of Israel was, we don't think God knows. 
So we're going to be cautious. What he wanted them to do was just believe, to worship and to rejoice in his provision and believe. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. And I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I've done the work. It doesn't mean I want you to be lazy, but I do want you to rest in me. Trust me. My way is best. So let me give you two Maybe three conclusions to the message today. Number one, worship Jesus with passion now and in heaven. Worship Jesus with passion now and in heaven. So I'm kind of glad that we don't have to correct people in this church for going a little crazy with worship. You know, I mean, I don't think I've ever said, hey, you need to... Chill down a little, just a little bit. You're distracting people. But, but really, the opposite is probably a greater sin, isn't it? I mean, we've been salvaged from the scrap heap of sin to the praise of his glory, and yet sometimes we set through worship, either physically or mentally, with our arms folded, our eyes closed, just bored with the whole thing. And yet Jesus died. For the purpose of salvaging us from that scrap heap so that we could be to the praise of his glory. I don't know about you, but that convicts me. Sometimes we sit through even musical worship and we think, ah, this isn't my favorite song. I don't like new songs. I don't like old songs. I don't like that group of people singing. I wish it was louder. I wish it was quieter. How about thankfully worshiping the Savior? Just saying, all I can see is Jesus, and he's awesome, and I'm having a hard time sitting still. You know, I think that is the attitude that we will have in heaven. When we're around the throne and he's declared worthy, you're not going to sit there with your arms folded with your eyes closed. Ain't going to happen, right? I think there's going to be some of us who dance for the very first time in heaven. Right? We're going we're gonna to realize that God is that awesome. So respond rightly. And be unashamed. If it's for Jesus, if it's for the right reason to be unashamed of worshiping him in spirit and in truth. But secondly, to rest in Jesus now and in heaven. To rest. There's a gospel application here. Put down the the paddles of your boat. It's not going anywhere. Quit trying to get to heaven on your own. Grab the rope and let Jesus pull you. This is the gospel application of rest. I don't have to work at having a right relationship with God. Jesus did everything necessary for a right relationship with God. If you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, can I just tell you, you are among friends. You're in the right spot. We're glad that you're here. There's one message that you need to hear today, and that is that Jesus died on the cross for your sin. You need to put your faith in him alone. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That's a little offensive to our respectability because we think we can earn our way to heaven or we, we think we can earn some favor with God. Can I just tell you, as graciously as I can, you can't. You're wrong. You can't earn favor with God. Only Jesus can. He's perfect. Put your faith in Jesus Christ alone today for forgiveness from your sin and your eternal home in heaven. But how about for the believers, the group that Hebrews was written to? How about for us? Do you believe that his way is best? Let me quote to you a few of the lyrics 
from a song called Make Room. Here's what it says. Here is where I lay it down. Every burden, every crown, this is my surrender. I will make room for you, Jesus, to do whatever you want to. Whatever you want. Shake up the ground of all of my traditions, the way that I think. Break down the walls of all of my religion, the way that I think God is so happy with me. Your way is better. By the way, this is true in every context of life. Jesus' way is better. Amen? His way is better. It's me that's the problem. I struggle with it. Let's close today briefly with a quick motorcycling illustration. Huh? How many motorcyclers out there that like that? All right. Brother, if you ride, if you have somebody riding on the back of your motorcycle, did you know this? Even a big motorcycle, a big heavy motorcycle, if they're riding on the back, I'll be the passenger. The passenger can actually steer the bike and they do it by leaning. Right? So if you're just cruising along and your passenger wants to turn, they can just lean like this. The bike will turn. And you have to correct it and you have to yell at them and say, sweetheart, quit leaning. I'm sorry. <laughs> she doesn't do that. All right? The passenger in the back can steer the bike, but it's dangerous. If you're the passenger, you can steer it, but it's dangerous. It's way more fun to let the guy who has the handlebars steer the bike and just go for a ride. It's way more fun, and it's a lot safer. And so when I'm following Jesus in this metaphor, he's got the handlebars. I can steer it. I can actually make things happen in my life just because I want to, right? But it's dangerous. Way better off just to lean back and let him drive. That doesn't mean I don't do anything. I got to hold on. But I let him drive. Why? His way is always better. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the exhortation in Psalms to worship you better and to rest in you more fully. Would you help us as a church to do that? May this message, may this Sunday, may this hour not be about scriptural truth that we nod to and say that sounds good, but not let it change us. May this time be a time where we, the church, learn to worship you better, where we learn to lean into you and trust you more. And Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know you as Savior, that they would put their faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the gift of salvation and the rest that we have in him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand together as we close the service in song, emphasizing that truth. The Lord is my salvation.
church can communicate with you is the gospel message. The word gospel means good news. The trouble with most good news is that it isn't really good until you see it relative to bad news. The discovery of a new cure isn't all that helpful unless you or a loved one has the disease that it cures. In the same way, the good news of Jesus is good when it is understood in relation to the bad news of our own sin. We are all sinners. That's the disease we are all born with. And Jesus is the cure. The good news that everyone can live forever with God in heaven, not because of anything we can do, but because of what Jesus did in our place. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrated his love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The truth that everyone, everywhere, at all times in history needs to hear is that salvation is only possible by putting our faith in Jesus Christ alone. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Would you put your faith in Jesus Christ today? Would you be willing to pray something like this and mean what you pray from your heart? Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I know I can do nothing to earn forgiveness and make myself right with you. Instead of dying for my own sins, I want to trust Christ and his death on the cross as payment for my sins. I want to repent from doing things my way and make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. The Bible tells us that those that repent from their sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in this way shall be saved. Would you believe on him today? And if you did trust Christ today, if you did pray a prayer like the one suggested a moment ago and you really meant it, would you let us know? We want to help you grow in your understanding of the good news of Jesus Christ. Maybe you have more questions about putting your faith in Christ and we have great resources to help you with that. The Exchange Bible Study is a four-week study on the character of God that will answer most of your questions about the gospel. 
We have men and women ready and waiting to go through that with you in person or virtually, depending on your situation. Maybe you put your faith in Christ today, or or maybe you did years ago, but you feel like you've not grown in your faith. We want to help you with that as well. We have literally hundreds of helpful resources and dozens of believers ready to walk with you through them. Let us know how we can best encourage your journey of faith in Christ using one of the contact methods listed below. Jesus Christ loves you and wants to spend eternity with you. May God bless you as you seek to live your life for His honor and for His glory.